Good morning. Good to see you today. I made the mistake this week, there, that sounds good, thank you, of asking my children to uh, give me their Christmas lists. And I uh, asked them to give it to me, and um, um, I thought maybe they had four or five things that they would want to give, and uh, I think they think I'm Bill Gates or something, I don't know. Um, but they gave me these, these, basically they sent me a direct link to the Amazon warehouse, and so... <laughs> That's mine as well. I would say the Sears Roebuck catalog, but that doesn't exist anymore. But it's basically what it was. And about half of them, I didn't know what they were. I had to Google what they were. And because uh, you know, when you have two teenage, basically two teenage daughters, uh, they were the ones that had all sorts of things. I had to figure out what they were. I needed translators for them. More of a wish list than a Christmas list. So I would say that, that the joy of giving, gift giving, is alive and well in 2023 as a Christmas tradition. Of course, we get that from the Bible. And today we're starting a new sermon, worship series called The Gift of Christmas. And this will also dovetail us into our musical next week, which is titled The Same Name. We're going to be looking at different gifts, if you will, given to us by simply being believers in Jesus Christ. Now, the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians today, was a group of believers that Paul loved very much. And we know this because of the great lengths that Paul went to make sure they understood how to live the Christian life. Now, Paul wrote a total of four letters to Corinth. We have two of them in our Bible, because he, God decreed that two were inspired for all of God's people to read. One of them was considered a severe letter that was, was as, and these letters got more severe as they went on and more stern. And then the last letter was 2 Corinthians, which was really his, his uh, letter that he was just exasperated with them at this point. But 1 Corinthians is a pretty stern letter, not the most stern that he wrote them. And it covers the areas where the church struggled and those areas were many. It was, by all accounts, comparatively speaking, a wealthy church that enjoyed privileges in Corinth that many other churches, many other cities did not enjoy. They, they were not poor. They had finances. They had resources. Uh, but with sometimes resources and money, churches run into other problems, and they had them. Uh, they were flooded with moral shortcomings. They had their share of church uh, divisions, and they had a variety of theological misunderstandings. And one of the misunderstandings they had was just about the nature of the resurrection of Jesus and how that related to the future resurrection of believers. And, that, and Paul spends the entirety of, of, of chapter 15 explaining in great detail what they needed to know about their future resurrection from the dead. So today we're looking at the last section of that teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable behold 
tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being able to be here today. I pray that as I preach this message that you fill me with your spirit that your Holy Spirit receives it today, Lord, that you bind any power of darkness that is, is, is forcing us to try to not have a good worship service, Lord, wherever that is. We, we pray that you are here today, Lord. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that we receive you today, Father, and, and let us understand the true victory we have in you. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you today three gifts, three types of gifts that God gives us through the reality of the future resurrection. Three types of gifts God gives us through the reality of our future resurrection. Number one, a gift of Christmas is victory over sin. A, a gift of Christmas is victory over sin, the, the power of sin, the effects of sin, the invasiveness of sin. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The natural body, the bodies that we live in, we exist on, on their own, cannot inherit God's heavenly kingdom. It is full, the body is full of and tainted in sin. When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they brought sin and its destructiveness into the world. So we have inherited this proclivity to sin, and we also sin by our own choices. And part of that curse of sin is that our bodies, if you haven't figured this out yet, are decaying. Amen? <laughs> Once your body reaches a point of maturity or full growth, I don't know when that was, for me, maybe 28, 29 years old, I don't know. We call that peaking now. I peaked in high school. I peaked in my 20s and 30s. At some point, you quit maturing. You hit that peak. And then what happens? You start decaying. Right? So we don't know when that is. It's for different people. Some of you haven't peaked yet. I certainly have. And once your body reaches that point of full growth where everything's matured, we start to decay. All right? So young people, you have that to look forward to. It's why we lose our hair. 
It's why our teeth break and get decayed. It's why our muscles get weak. It's why we lose bone density. Why we have a hard time, harder time burning fat. Amen? The, the body starts to slowly break down until it eventually wears out one way or another. And some days you feel it more than others, right? This is what Paul means when he says that our bodies are perishable. They all perish. And he further explains that the body which is decaying cannot inherit that which will never end and is completely holy, the eternal kingdom of heaven. Our sinful bodies as they are now will not be in heaven. There will be no bald-headed, bad-teeth Charlie in heaven. Amen? You should, you, should be, you should be glad about that. And the reason is, sin is the culprit. Sin is the reason. But in Christ, even though our bodies decay and eventually die, Christ has defeated sin, and we will share in that victory. But not all believers will taste death. Look at verse 51. He says, Behold, I, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. This is not just a, nurse, a, a verse that we put up in the church nursery. You'll get that when you leave today. <laughs> it's not just a funny joke, right? When Paul says, behold, what he means is this. Listen, let me tell you something very hard to understand. Not all believers will die, but all will be changed. How is this possible? It's a promise of the return of Christ. Look at verse 52. He says, in the moment, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. You ever looked at someone, they just get like a little gleam in their eye real quick? Really fast. This happens real fast. The twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable. Different bodies. New bodies that won't decay. And we shall be changed. And this could happen at any moment. It could happen right now. It could happen in five minutes. It can happen in two years. It can happen in 100 years. And it'll be a time of instantaneous transformation. It will not be a long process. It'll happen immediately. The idea of a trumpet sounding adds to this, this suddenness. If all of a sudden someone just was sitting somewhere we couldn't see and just blew the trumpet very loud it would startle you, right? It would be shocking. And the trumpet will sound, and in a moment, the dead will be raised, but those who are alive will also be changed. Why? Why do we have to be changed? Look at verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality to live in the kingdom of heaven to exist with god we have to have a new sinless perfect body and i'm looking forward to seeing mine are you looking forward to seeing yours perfect sinless body you know they have these these camera filters now where you can uh, look at it and they will de-age you have you seen those it's kind of shocking and i've seen videos of people in their 40s or 50s and they, they look at these camera filters on their phone, and it de-ages them to like age 16 or 17. 
And I've seen women look at this and they start crying because they think about how they used to look or something or when they were young and they, they start crying about it and, and it's just kind of an instant thing they can see. And that's how it's going to be. For those who are here, one day you look like this. In a moment, in a twinkling, you look different. What an amazing scene that will be if we're here. Our earthly body must transform into a new outfit. Our body, which has its days numbered, must transform into a body which will live forever. And all believers have been cleared and acquitted in the court of God. Our guilt has been cleared. We all walk away free because of Jesus' work on the cross. But that doesn't solve the problem of our bodily decay, the imperishable or the perishable. Spiritually, we've been renewed, but bodily, we have not yet been renewed and the rapture as it's called will change all of that those believers who are still here when christ returns will see those decaying bodies changed instantly to new perfect eternal bodies what a wonderful day that'll be because one of the gifts of christmas is victory over sin sin's effects are done no more we won't have to live with it anymore. A gift of Christmas is victory over sin. Secondly, a gift of Christmas is victory over death. Victory over death. Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, that's when we get new bodies, and the mortal puts on immortality, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. It's gone. It's just like how we swallowed up that pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving dinner. It's all gone. Not even a crumb is left. When this transformation happens, then death is defeated. When our bodies are transformed, at that point there is no more death. Amen. We become imperishable. We become immortal. We, we, we become victorious over death. And then Paul quotes a scripture in somewhat of a taunt. Verse 55. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It is perfectly all right to taunt death. It is perfectly holy and okay to celebrate victory over sin. If we're going to brag and celebrate anything, it is that we do not fear death anymore. And we won't have to fear it anymore. Now, we love our sports teams here in South Carolina. Even if you weren't a South Carolina fan, a lot of you have moved here and have other fans of other teams. And no matter who you cheer for, we are quick in the South, especially, to brag about what our favorite players have done, don't we? We're quick to taunt rival schools about you know, one of our favorite players threw for six touchdowns or something or scored 50 points or hit three home runs or whatever it is. We're quick to taunt about what our team did, right? But the funny thing about this is fans will, will celebrate these things in a way where you think they had something to do with it. Unless they played the game or coached the game, they had nothing to do it. But they'll own a victory and they'll own a loss as if they had something to do it, do with it. 
And I learned a while ago that my favorite team is going to win or lose whether I watch the game or not. Did you know that? <laughs> Sometimes I just rather get the result and watch it later. They're going to perform whether I cheer or not. I have nothing to do with it. Even though my wife stays in one room and I stay in the other when we watch the game, we have nothing to do with it. We don't want to mess it up, right? We've done that before. It still has nothing to do with it. Yet, we celebrate anyway as if we do have something to do with it. Now, in a similar fashion, we have nothing to do with our salvation. We have nothing to do with defeating sin or death. Jesus did it all. But why do we not celebrate that more so than we do these crazy little hobbies we have? You know, some people do act like they've done something to earn their salvation. But that's as ridiculous as me claiming responsibility for my favorite team's performance. But we need to celebrate Jesus' performance. We can taunt that Jesus has defeated our enemy death. Where's your victory? It's nowhere. Where's your sting? It's gone. Verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That sting of death is no more. We don't have to fear it any more. We don't have to fear the process. We don't have to fear the result, the day, the time, how. We don't have to fear it because that is not our end. There's probably some days where we feel that bodily decay more than others. Amen? And those aren't the days we need to fear death. Those are the days that we need to anticipate the new body we will receive one day. What an amazing time that will be. The sting is gone. The power is gone. God the Father has given us a victory. We did nothing to earn it. We weren't, we weren't on the field. We weren't on the sidelines. We were in the stands watching this victory take place. In fact, many of us, if we were there at the cross, would have fled and deserted him just like the disciples did. Yet he still bought us the victory. We have the victory through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christmas time, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that's just the beginning. That was just the beginning of the incarnation of Christ. Just the beginning of him coming to this earth with his mission to live the life we could not live, to die our death on the cross, to purchase that salvation and victory for anyone who would believe. There's nothing we could do about it. He did it all. Yet we should celebrate that. And number three, a gift of Christmas is victory over doubt. Victory over doubt. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Don't doubt. It's the opposite of doubting. Be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable. Be stubborn for your faith. Lord, do we need a church that is stubborn for the faith? Amen. Oh, do we need the American church especially? 
to be stubborn for the faith of the gospel. The Lord sent us into the culture to reach the culture, not to be the culture. We exist and live in the culture, but we're not becoming the culture. We should not be. We need to be steadfast and movable. The church needs to be stubborn. I know some of you. I know you're stubborn. I'm stubborn. I know you have the ability to be stubborn about the things you care about. Be stubborn for the faith. Be stubborn for Jesus Christ and for what you know to be true in God's word. Don't doubt the resurrection because somebody says they don't think it happened. Don't doubt your faith because someone makes fun of you for believing. None of those kind of things. A gift of Christmas is a victory over doubt because we know it cannot be moved. And he says, be steadfast, be immovable. And then in that immovability, always abound and grow in the work of the Lord. You can't do the work of the Lord if you are wishy-washy. You can only do it with a resolute confidence in what Jesus has done. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You ever had a job where you realized you, that <laughs> I don't need to work. They don't need me. I've had a job like that. I've had a couple. I worked one I worked four hours and I left because they didn't need me. <laughs> That's a story for another sermon another day. I told God, you don't need me here. I'm laboring in vain. Some laborers are in vain. Not the labor of the gospel. Every person you invite to church, every person, you give one of our little invite cards we have in the, in the Welcome Center, you invite to a musical or you, or whatever it is, or, or you give to or you talk to, share the gospel with, every person that you treat in a respectful, nice manner because of Jesus Christ when you come across to them. Every person you come across, that labor is not in vain. That is planting that has a purpose. But if we're movable, if we're doubtful, then we can't do what we've been called to do. In the resurrection, there'll be no more doubt. Not even of, of unbelievers. Because we'll see Jesus clearly. The things you go through as a believer will end that day. The ridicule Christians go through. You know, there's a belief out there that some people think if you're a believer in Christ, you're not very smart. Some of you are very smart. <laughs> I know you are. Very intelligent. That's not it. That's what people think. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s, maybe the greatest orator of recent memory, maybe since the Apostle Peter, right? he preached a sermon one time that said this. He says, when Christ comes a second time, there will be a marvelous change in the way men talk. He says, I think I see him. There he sits upon his throne. Now, Caiaphas, come and condemn him now. Judas, come and kiss him now. Are you afraid of him? Now, Barabbas, go. See whether they prefer you to Christ now. Swearer, 
Now is your time. You've been a bold man. Curse Jesus to his face now. Drunkard, stagger up to him now. Infidel, tell him to his face that there is no Christ now that the world is lit with lightning and the earth is shaken with thunder. Tell God there is no God now. Now laugh at the Bible. Now scoff at the minister. Why, men, what is the matter with you? Why can't you do it? Spurgeon says that will be what happens when Christ comes back. Ah, there you are. You fled to the hills and to the rocks. Rocks hide us. Mountains fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Ah, where are now your boasts, your vaunting, your glories? Alas, alas for you in that dread day of wonders. When Christ comes back, it's a glorious day for the church, but for those who have not placed their faith in Christ, it is a dreadful day. So we celebrate the victory that Christians have been vindicated by Jesus Christ, but we don't celebrate the fact that there will be those for who it is too late. The reason Christ has not come back now, the reason he didn't come back during my sermon and hasn't come back as of right now or any other time is because the work of the church is not done. When that trumpet sounds, the work's over. But until then, there are people everywhere in our community that need to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, when the trumpet does sound, they too will receive a new body. They too will have victory over sin and death and doubt. And this Christmas, let's not forget, as Monk's Corner grows, as people live here and exist, that there are people everywhere. You see them, you interact with them, you can tell when you have. There are people who don't know Christ, and we need them to know Christ before that trumpet sounds. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And as we close our time together today, there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you, that today would be the day of salvation. Maybe there's some in here, Lord, that, that just need to pray to you. There's still some room, Lord, on our steps. Maybe they can come down and, and spend time with you and pour out their heart to you in some way, Lord. Maybe they need me to pray for them. Whatever it is, if there's a need in here today, Lord, now is the day that they need to, to take care of that need. If it's salvation, today's the day to take care of it. If it's something else in their life that they're believing, this December 3rd, this Christmas season, they would reach out to you and you would hear them because you promised to do so. Lord, we love you. We give this time to you and we ask these things in Jesus' name.